over the Easter period, uh, last Sunday, Friday, today, and next Sunday as well, because we're looking beyond, uh, we're looking to, to next Sunday, this kind of Easter period. We're looking at this whole question, Jesus is, with a gap at the end, uh, and our kind of thought is eventually, everyone has to complete the sentence, everyone has to finish the sentence, okay? Uh, and I don't know how you would describe Jesus. If, if I was to say to you, okay, fill it in and write Jesus is, what would you put? Maybe you've got all different ideas. And In fact, on Friday, many people uh, filled it in as part of what happened Friday night. In fact, some people, the first service did that as well. And we're going to invite you maybe if you wanted to, to also to fill it in as well. And how would you finish that sentence, Jesus is? Well, Bono is one of the most famous and well-respected um, rock stars still around, still doing his stuff at his age. And he was asked recently in an interview who he thinks Jesus is. And this is what he said. I look to the scriptures for poetic truth, um, as well as the sort of historical stuff I'm, I'm, I'm interested in. And of course, there was a histor- historical Jesus. No, I'm talking about God. Oh, right. And, and do well, you- I see. I'm the, the person of Christ is my way to understand uh, God. Do you pray? Yes. To whom or what do you pray? To and Christ. Way? To Christ. Yeah. And, and what do you pray for? I pray to get to know um, the will of God, because then the prayers have more chance of coming true. I mean, that's the thing about prayer, isn't it? I mean, we don't do it in a very lofty way in our family. There's just a bunch of us on the bed, usually. We have a very big bed in our house. And all our, we've prayed with all our kids. We, we you know, we just... We, we read the scriptures, we pray. It's not even regular. Sometimes if we go to church on a Sunday, we go when the church has ended and we'll just go in on our own as a family. For peace and quiet. And For peace and quiet. And we'll pray usually about people that we know who are struggling with something, um, illness so, or so, so whatever. So then what or who was Jesus as far as you're concerned? I think it's, the, it's a defining question for a Christian is who was Christ. And, and I don't think you're let off easily by saying a great thinker or a great philosopher or, you know, because actually he went round saying he was the Messiah. That's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said he was the son of God. So he either, in my view, was the son of God or he was not. No, no, nuts. Nuts, yes. Forget yes. rock and roll messianic complexes. This is like, I mean, Charlie Manson type delirium. And I find it hard to accept that all the millions and millions of lives, half the earth for 2,000 years, have been touched, have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I just, I don't believe it. I, so I think therefore it follows that you believe he was divine. Yes. And therefore it follows that you believe that he rose physically from the dead. Yes, yeah, I'm into, uh, I have no problem with miracles. <laughs> I'm living around them. I am one. So, so when you pray then, you pray to Jesus. Yes. The risen Jesus. Yes. And you believe that he made promises which will come true. Yes. I do. Wow. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. That's what, how Bono would finish that sentence. How would you finish that sentence, Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you this morning on Easter Sunday, 2015?
You know, um, most people's experience with death, uh, it kind of starts, I think, when you're a kid. And it often uh, happens around the fact of whether you have a pet or not. Now, I have to be honest with you. I have never been into pets. I'm not particularly an animal lover at all. I don't mind seeing them in the wild, big game and all that stuff. But the idea of kind of, you know, dogs and cats, they just don't do anything for me at all. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know that many of you are dog and cat lovers. But So we, we've never really been in, into pets. But um, when our youngest son, Simeon, was little, and many of you all know Simeon, our youngest son's got very complex special needs. He's got autism and lots of other things. But when he was very little, he, he's always been fascinated with animals. In fact, he's never had any fear of animals at all. Uh, so I remember a, a time when I was in Westminster Safari Park, and he was in the back, uh, and we pulled into this uh, the, the lion enclosure, and it was very busy, and they asked us, to pull up onto the grass and there was this male lion lying down on the grass and I had forgotten to put the child lock on in the back of the car and there was only me in the front and Simeon in the back and Simeon thought oh big pussycat I'll stroke big pussycat and open the door I have never moved so quick in all my life I tell you okay I really moved quick uh, so he's, he's always had this fascination with animals and um, so we, we Alison and myself my wife and I we decided that we would get him a guinea pig and so we bought him this guinea pig. He was very little and he was very cute with the guinea pig and he was very gentle with the guinea pig. And then one day uh, we came home and, and we walked into where, where the guinea pig was in the hutch and the, the, the lid was open and the, the sawdust was all in a pile and the guinea pig was cowering and shaking in the corner. And we looked at him and we thought, what has gone on? And we said to Simeon, guinea pig? Because we can't really communicate. And all he said was this, guinea pigs don't fly. So we realise that what Simeon had done in his logic and his thinking is he pushed all the sawdust into a pile, taken the guinea pig, stood on the settee, hold, held the guinea pig up as high as he could, dropped it. Guinea pigs don't fly, but they do fall. And the poor guinea pig was shaking. The next day we came in and the bathroom was flooded and there was a plug in the sink and water everywhere. Simeon, and I'm not exaggerating, he exactly said this, Guinea pigs don't swim. <laughs> and for days after that, like whenever Simeon would come up the stairs, the guinea pig would run to the corner of the hutch and just shake like that. In fact, we had these images of going into the kitchen one day and Simeon saying, guinea pigs don't microwave. Do you know what I mean? So the guinea pig did not die, okay? So let me just say that. But that's often people's first experience with death is the death of a pet. My first experiences with death Whereas a child in primary school when one of the kids in our year called Andrew got killed on his bike. And then just a couple of years later in the youth group at the church that I was a part of, one of the girls called Debbie lost her battle with cystic fibrosis. Beautiful girl, so strong, so positive, but lost her battle with cystic fibrosis. And then some years after that, as a 20-something-year-old as a, as a minister just starting out on the journey, um, a friend of mine who's another minister who's a, who's a convert, was, a, was a mentor to me. His wife was taken into hospital to give birth to their second daughter, Hannah. And somebody put the epidural too high in her spine. Hannah was born fine, but Kerry died during childbirth. So, so, so by the time I was 26 or 27, those were some of the experiences of death that I'd had, which weren't with pets, but they were with real people. And, and what you learn around those kind of experiences, is you learn the law of irreversibility, that when something or someone dies, they don't come back. But I want to say to you folks this morning, the basis and the foundation of Christianity is not that, because we believe that Jesus who died came back to life again. 
We believe he was resurrected. That is the foundation of our faith. In fact, one of the greatest Christian writers of all time, a guy called Paul who wrote a lot of the Bible, he put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. In other words, if you're a Christian today and you don't believe in the resurrection, Paul says then it's a waste of time. You're wasting your time if you don't believe that somehow God uh, you know, went against that law of irreversibility. He reversed that and Jesus who has died rose again from the death. And what I want to do this morning is if you're not a Christian this morning, and this may be the first time you've been in church, and we don't often talk as directly as I'm going to talk this morning. We really believe in going on a journey and we will encourage you to come on a journey. But on this day, on Easter Sunday, if you're not yet a Christian, I want to ask you to consider becoming one today. Because this is Easter Sunday and what I'm going to talk to you about this morning is so amazing and I'm going to ask you to consider becoming a follower of Jesus even in spite of the fact that you know some Christians. Okay? In spite of the fact that you might be married to a Christian. Okay? In spite of the fact that you might have had bad business dealings with a Christian or bad experiences in a church or with a vicar or with a minister. You might have had all kinds of bad experiences. In spite of all of that, I'm going to ask you to consider becoming a follower of Jesus today because of Easter. And if you are a Christian today, I'm going to ask you to consider again why you are a Christian and to celebrate the foundation of our faith, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what I'm going to propose to you this morning is two ideas. You see, I believe that Jesus is greater than we believed. It really is. And those first few people that followed him called the disciples, when he was dead and buried, they went back to their jobs. They gave up all hope. And yet when he rose again, they realized he is greater than even we believed. They saw him do miracles and amazing things. But when they saw this, the resurrection, he was greater than anything they believed. And I'm going to propose two things to you this morning. Number one, the resurrection of Jesus is the only plausible explanation for the existence of the church today. I'm going to propose that to you. Secondly, the resurrection of Jesus is the only plausible explanation for what happened to the body of Jesus Christ. I want to propose those things to you and then I'm going to ask you to consider becoming a follower of Jesus this morning. And if you are, I'm going to ask you to consider maybe just giving your life over to him again and thanking him and celebrating and what he's done for you. You see, Jesus was a Jewish carpenter who never left his country as an adult. He never wrote a book. He only taught publicly for three and a bit years. But he left a movement 2,000 years later. A third of the world claims to be followers of this man. Now, now let me ask you a question. How many of you know anything about the Emperor Nero? What do you know about Nero? You're ruining my point now because you know loads about him, okay? <laughs> but that's good, that's good, Ned. So you know some stuff about Nero. Most of us don't know hardly anything about him, do you? But actually, he was all those things that Ned said. But actually, in real terms, at the time, he was the most famous man in the world. The most powerful man in the world. But now, 2,000 years later, most of us know very little about Nero, apart from Ned at the back. You should go on the chase, mate, okay? You really should. <laughs> But what I do know is this, that the Emperor Nero, the most famous man in the world at the time, is a footnote in the story of Jesus. Caesar Augustus, I'm not going to ask you, Ned, okay, because you'll know. 
But we know very little about Caesar Augustus. But what we do know is that he is now just a note, a little note in the story of this Jewish carpenter. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And you see, there was no written Bible for 300 years after the time of Jesus. Rome, the empire, tried to stamp out Christianity through Nero and other people like that. And yet the church 2,000 years later is still around and thriving and growing all over the world. And it's a mystery how it survived. And it's even more mysterious when you understand how religions and movements are established. You see, there is a pattern to how any religion or any movement is established. And the pattern is this, that in any people group, there's a time of unrest. And the people are unhappy about something. And out of that period of unrest, a charismatic leader emerges. And that charismatic leader emerges with a new set of ideals and ideas and teaching and values. And that galvanizes a group of people to come around those teachings and those ideals and those values. And they go into a period of kind of unrest and rebellion. And out of that, a religion or a movement emerges. In AD 632, a young man called Muhammad came out of a cave. And at that time, all the Arabic-speaking nations were disparate and they were idol-worshipping people. But Muhammad came out of that cave with a new revelation. A new revelation for him about there only being one God and uniting the Arab nations. And out of that whole kind of thing came Islam. And when you look at that pattern, that's how religions and movements start all around the world. It's what happened with Gandhi in India. It's what happened with Martin Luther King in the civil rights movement in America. And even though those charismatic leaders are killed, often horrifically and violently, the group of followers get around and say, hey, We are not going to let this movement die. We're going to bring the teaching and the values and the ideas of this leader and we're going to take it forward. That's how a religion or a movement starts. That's no mystery. But we know this. That's not the case with Christianity. See, Christianity does not fit that pattern at all. It really doesn't. You see, when Jesus came on the scene, Jesus didn't come with a message of civil unrest or rebellion. In fact, he said to to the people that questioned him, hey, you give to Caesar what Caesar's. In other words, you pay your taxes. So so I'm not here to kind of cut any kind of civil unrest or rebellion. So no, what I've come, my message is a whole different kind of kingdom. In fact, he says, I've not even come to overturn the Jewish law. I've come to fulfill it. So it doesn't fit the pan at all. And And then here's the thing. He never told his followers to trust in his teaching or his values or his ideas. He said, you've got to trust in me. The problem with Jesus is that he is the center of his message. So when he died, the message died with him. The hopes died with him. None of his followers got together and said, hey, he was so great. He was so cool. Let's teach. Let's keep these teachings alive. Let's call it Christ, Christ, Christianity. Let's call it Christianity. Nobody did that. When he died, everything died. So the only plausible explanation for the existence of the church now, I want to suggest to you, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because our faith is not built on teaching, it's built on a person. It's built on Jesus Christ, the resurrected Son of God. But you know, the resurrection is also the only plausible explanation for what actually happened to the body of Jesus. You know, you might sit there today thinking, yeah, I've got lots of doubts and I've got lots of questions and... I don't, I'm not sure about the Bible. I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about that. I want to say something. If you've got doubts and questions, this is a great church to come to, okay? Because we have all got doubts and questions as well. 
And those of us here in this room who say that we are fully-fledged followers of Jesus, we've still got doubts and questions. And you know, you, you've got a choice over what you do with a doubt or a question. I remember when I was at school, and um, I didn't say this at the first service, uh, and, and one of the, the sports that I hated the most, in fact, I hated, no, I like, I like some sports, but cross-country running, that's demonic. I hated that, absolutely. <laughs> what was that about? What was that, cross-country running? But the second one was rugby, okay, because back then, I was not the fine specimen of athleticism that you see before you today, all right? I was a little bit kind of weedy and stuff, if, if I'm honest. I know I've gone the other direction now. Uh, I was a little bit weedy. And, and, and the idea of playing rugby horrified me. And we, at the end of term, we used to do these inter-house rugby competitions. Do you remember them? And I was in the greenhouse. and uh, <laughs> Should have been in the greenhouse, but in the green group. And, um, and we had this rugby match. And, and I knew that I wasn't in the team because I was rubbish. Okay, So I was safe. I was sat on the side. And the team were playing. And then the teacher turned around and said, we're one short. Evans, get changed. You're on. I'll tell you what, the world could have, uh, honestly, could have ended right then. And so when I got onto the rugby pitch, there was this player on the blue team called Nathan Orme, who was so big and so horrible and so ugly. And if I'd have known what I know now, I would have known that he wasn't a man. He was an orc, okay, (laughs) from Lord of the Rings. He really was. And for some reason, he totally had it in for me. He totally had it in for me. And he just like, Evans, I'm going to kill you or something like that. Oh, great, great. And so we're playing this game, and it's really tight. It was really tight towards the end. And I thought to myself, all I need to do is stay away from the ball, and I'll be safe. I can stay away from the ball. That was my cunning plan. And towards the end of the match, and towards the end of the game, and it's really tight. It's really tight, so who's going to win? Someone throws me the ball, and I catch it for some unbeknown reason. And, and I can remember Nathan I'm saying, right, Evans, I've got you now. And he's running me. I think, what do I do with the ball? I have a few options I can hide it under my jumper and just nonchalantly pretend, ball, what ball? I can get rid of it or I can run with it. And I decided to run with it that day. And this is no word of a lie. It's not a preacher story. It's the truth. I ran so fast because Nathan was, you know, his talons, his claws were at my back. Fire out of his nose. And I ran past the line to score a try. And the teacher said, you've got to put the ball down to score the try. I just kept running. And I scored a try that day. It was amazing. It was amazing. It was all based on fear. But I've often thought since then about that story. But you know what? Doubt and questions are a little bit like that ball. And when you've got it, you've got a choice. Do you stick up your jumper and pretend you don't have it? Do you get rid of it because you don't want it? Or do you run with it? And I want to say it this morning. If you've got any doubts or questions about the Christian faith, I want to encourage you. Run with it. Run with it. Go find out. Go ask some people. Don't just get rid of it. Don't just deny it. Because if you could discover the greatest truth the world has ever known. And you see what happens here is that I want to say this morning. Let's for a moment, okay, let's for a moment put on one side all the big questions that you've got. And they're important. So can the, is the Bible reliable? Can we rely on the evidence? Is there other evidence that supports the resurrection of Christ? What about archaeology? What about inaccuracies? Let, let, let's put that on one side. There's a great place for all of that. In fact, we run a course here called the Alpha Course, which, which is not really a course. It's, 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 a, it's a meal. It's a relationship. It's, you come on a Monday evening, eight Monday evenings, or a Friday morning if you're around on the day. And basically, you just come along. You have a free meal. There's a little short presentation about some aspect of the Christian faith. And then you get to discuss and ask questions. So any question you've got, you can ask. Absolutely great. But let's assume for one moment that we put all that on one side and we accept that Jesus Christ was alive 
He was a real historical figure because there's so much evidence for that. And he died. He was crucified and he was put in a tomb and nobody has ever found the body. So the question is, folks, let's, let's be logical this morning. What happened to the body? You see, in 1990, they found the tomb of Caiaphas, the high priest at the time of Jesus. They found his tomb and his body, his remains. Nobody has ever found the remains of Jesus Christ. And I want to suggest to you that the only plausible explanation is that he rose from the dead. Now let's look at the story together. Let's look in John chapter 20. This is the story recorded from one of the biographers, a guy called John, the Gospel of John. And he was an eyewitness, okay? So he's reporting what he saw and experienced. And he said this, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So women are the first on the scene. Maybe they're to check the wrapping on the body because they don't think the guys did a good job. I'm not sure. But they arrived and they were the first on the scene. Now, many people who doubt the resurrection, they believe that the followers of Jesus were either gullible fools or very shrewd conspirators. They're into cover-up. Well, can I just say, if they were into cover-up, this is the wrong thing to do. Because in the time of Jesus, women's testimony was invalid in any court of law. There's just no credibility with a woman's testimony. So basically, if you're trying to do a cover-up, you don't send women as the first witnesses of the empty tomb. You see, the reason that women were written here is that women were actually there. They went to the tomb first. That's why it's written in the Bible. No more, no less, because that's what actually happened. If you were going to do a cover-up, you wouldn't do that. Then in verse 2, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved. And she said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. See, nobody is assuming anything. To, to them, he's dead and he's buried and he's gone. They are not assuming anything. In fact, they thought she was a little crazy. Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped round Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and he believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. You know, the disciples believed because they saw an empty tomb and then they met a resurrected Jesus. And I'm going to explain that to you. You know, this is not a cover-up. You see, a cover-up depends on certain factors being in place. In fact, Charles Colson was an American guy who was part of the Watergate cover-up. Some of you who are older will remember that from the 70s. And in fact, he went to prison for his part in the Watergate scandal. But then in prison, he became a Christian and he wrote this, cover-ups only work if all participants maintain a unified front of assurance and competence. In other words, they have to get their story straight. So I want you to imagine, okay, that with all of these people on the front row here, if we all saw something and reported it, okay, I want to, some people say to me, the Bible's so full of things that don't quite match up. Like in this gospel, it says this, but in this gospel, it says that. I look at that and I think, that's not a sign of cover-up. That's a sign of authenticity. Because if we all saw something and reported it, it would all be slightly differently. But it doesn't change the fact of what we saw. 
If we were going to do a cover-up, what we would all do is we'd all say, right, Simon, this is what happened. You're going to stick to that story. Gary, you're going to stick to that story. Helen, you're going to stick to that story. And we would all stick to exactly the same story. That's what a cover-up is all about. That didn't happen here. In fact, you read all the Gospels. There's so much like, was there one person appeared in the garden or two? You know, why did, you, why did Mary dis, uh, um, mistake the gardener for Jesus? Was there somebody else with Mary? In one gospel it says, we're not sure. That's because it was real. It was happening. It was happening in front of them. And those who saw and believed were transformed and changed the world. <laughs> you know, and I want to say, these guys saw the resurrected Christ. And they reacted just as I would have done if there was a knock on my door and Andrew from my primary school appeared, or Debbie from my youth group, or Kerry, my friend who died in childbirth. I'd have reacted exactly the same as these guys. I reacted with fear because I wasn't expecting it, and with great joy. That's exactly what, these guys reacted like that because they weren't expecting it. The resurrection really happened. And if that happened to me, I'd say that would be greater than I could ever believe, wouldn't you? You know, if they'd taken the body of Jesus, the disciples, all but one of them died for their belief. Now, let me be really clear. Lots of people die for what they believe these days, don't they? We know that horrifically from what we see on our TV sets. Lots of people die for beliefs. Nobody dies for what they know is not true. They die for something they believe is true. If these guys had taken the body themselves, they would have all died for something that they knew was not true. That's not logical. It doesn't make any sense. Maybe the authorities, the Romans or the Jews, maybe they took the body. But then if they took the body, all they had to do to stop this new movement, which was so challenging to them, was to produce a body and it's done. And they never, ever do it. See, those who saw and believed were transformed and changed the world. Those who refused to believe found ways to ignore all the evidence. Which one are you this morning? You know, ultimately what transformed these, these people, these, the early church, was when they met the resurrected Christ. The Bible says that over six weeks, he appeared to over 500 different people. And I've heard people say, oh yeah, that they were so upset because Jesus died that they all hallucinated. Can I say, you would need more faith to believe that than to believe the resurrection. Because medical experts will tell you that hallucinations are, are dependent on certain circumstances. You need to be expecting that. You need to be in the same place. 500 people at different times, in different places, having the same hallucination has never been known. Can't happen. And they were all different people. There were people that loved him. There were people that failed him. There were people that were disappointed in him. It was in different settings. It was, some was on the beach. Some was on the road. Some was, some was in a, a garden. Some was in a home. So many different situations. And I want to suggest to you this morning that the resurrection was not a belief that grew up in the early church. It is the belief around which the early church grew up. That's totally different. They didn't get around and say, hey, let's have this as a belief. We'll believe in the resurrection. No, the resurrection happened and the church grew up around that belief of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Frank Morrison was a, a man who set out to write a book to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. But when he looked at the evidence, he changed the book and it's called Who Moved the Stone? It's a classic book about the resurrection of Jesus. Lee Strobel, an American guy that I've heard speak live a few times, he was a lawyer and he was also a journalist. So he was a legal journalist. He used to work for the Chicago Tribune. And he was an atheist and he set out to disprove the resurrection. And he wrote this. 
The atheism I had embraced for so long buckled under the weight of historical truth. It was a stunning and radical outcome. Certainly not what I had anticipated when I embarked on this investigative process. Listen, but in my opinion, it was a decision compelled by the facts. When you take the time to look at the facts and really look at it logically, what is the only plausible explanation for what happened to the body? I want to propose to you is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. But now the question as we finish is this, so what? Some of you are asking that right now. You're saying, so what? Preacher man, so what? You say that it's the only plausible explanation for the existence of the church. It's the only explanation for what happened to the body. So what? What, so what, what, what's the big deal about that? Let me give you three things to think about. Number one, the resurrection proves that God is real. You know, people say to me, oh, if you could prove that God is real, then I'd believe. But that's really interesting because people, people saw miracles in the times of Jesus but didn't necessarily believe. Jesus said to Thomas, uh, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who've not seen and yet have believed. I think the resurrection proves that Jesus is real. Secondly, the resurrection proves that our wounds and our hurts can be and will be transformed. One of the things I said on Friday, which I love about the Easter story, and it's really hit me hard this year, just how great this is, is that when Jesus appears to those people, he shows them his wounds. Now I think to myself, as I've been reading again, that if God gave Jesus a new resurrected body, why didn't he clean him up a bit? Why did he leave him with a mark in his side? And with wounds in his hands and in his feet and in his brow. Why didn't he clean him up? See, we live in a culture which is obsessed with our external image, isn't it? So we want to be pearly white teeth and airbrushed out. And as we get older, we believe that somehow we can stay wrinkle free and nothing will ever sag. Well, I've got news for you, folks. Standing where I'm standing. No, I'm joking. (laughs) I'm joking. I'm not looking at the front row. Standing where I'm standing. Eyes up. Standing where I'm standing, that's just an illusion. That's just an illusion. And you know, Jesus comes not as an airbrushed, manicured, perfect. He comes as a wounded, suffering man who's been resurrected from the dead. And here's the thing. When he showed them his wounds, what he was doing was identifying with our humanity. Because all of us know what it is to be wounded, don't we? And the resurrection is proof that our wounds are not fatal. And that our scars and our hurts and our pains one day can be and will be transformed because he is risen. So maybe this morning, maybe this morning on Easter Sunday, maybe you're carrying some wounds. Maybe relational breakdown, marriage, family, friends. Maybe someone did something to you. Maybe you had physical hurts. You've had physical illnesses and pains. Maybe financial Maybe you know what it is like Jesus to be betrayed by someone really close to you. And you are carrying the wounds and the scars of that. The resurrection is hope for you this morning. Maybe the scars and the wounds will never totally disappear. But they will be transformed and the pain of them will lessen. And that's what the resurrection shows us this morning. I love that about God so much. The final thing I want to say is this. that The resurrection proves that death is not the end. Amen. Death is not the end. If you're a Christian today, death is not the end for you or your loved ones who knew God. The people you've loved and lost, you will see again.
If you are a Christian, listen to this. If any man can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, he's someone you can trust. Isn't he? I don't know about you, but I'd put my money on him. Wouldn't you? Anyone who can predict and pull off his own death and resurrection. I'd put my money on that man. So if you're a Christian today and you are struggling to trust him, I want you to know that because of the resurrection, it's a safe bet to put your one and only life into the hands of this man who predicted his own death and resurrection and pulled it off. You won't go wrong. Maybe if you're a Christian today, maybe you could say it. And maybe you could say it by getting baptised. Ooh, that one came out the corner, didn't it? Because you see, I know many Christians who put off baptism way, way, way too long. And I'm not talking about whether you were christened as a baby when you had no choice. I'm talking about an act of outward confession when you are old enough, whether that's a child or a teenager or an adult, whether you're old enough to know what you're doing and you want to say to the world, I want to follow Jesus. Get baptised. And you might say, oh yeah, but I'm not quite ready yet. Or I've got a few issues. Or I've got a few things I'm working on. Or I'm not perfect. Then join the club. You'd be in great company because we're all in that category as well. Baptism is not about working on all your issues out or about being ready. It's about saying, I want to follow this man Jesus and I want to say it publicly. But there's another reason why you should get baptised and it's this. Do not deny us the privilege and the joy of hearing your story. Because you don't know that on that morning when you get baptised, your story may be the story that somebody needs to hear to give them hope for their story. So if it's not enough for me to say to you, do it because Jesus tells you to do it, then please can I encourage you, do it because we need it. You need it, but also we need it as well. And you can sign up for our next baptism, which is a fortnight today at the back. In fact, I want to encourage you, do not go home and get stuck into your turkey or your beef or your lamb or your chocolate or whatever you're going to eat lunchtime before you go and sign up and say, I want to get baptised. Because it would be an amazing thing to do on Easter Sunday to make that decision. But maybe you're a Christian today and life is tough for you. And so right now, you're tempted to want to give up. I want to say the resurrection is hope. Don't give up. Don't give up. You know, when my friend Kerry died, I was over in Ireland with her husband and our mutual friend who was Kerry's best friend and also a very close friend of ours. She was a singer, songwriter and worship leader. And she, was, she had a Bible open and I was staying with her and her husband. And she had a Bible open one day and it was open to Psalm 30 verse 5. And Psalm 30 verse 5 says, um, Weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And by the side of it she'd written, yeah, but it's a long night. And that phrase has never left me because I think for some of us, We know that joy comes in the morning and this is just a night, but it can be a really long night. And maybe you're in that long night season right now where it just feels to you darkness. It feels to you darkness and coldness and death. I want to say do not give up. Joy comes in the morning, even if it's a really long night. We have to hold on. We have to hold on. So finally, I want to ask the band to come back now. I've said that band if you could come oh yeah they're up the back <laughs> if you're a Christian today death is not the end for you and your loved ones if you're a Christian any man who can predict and pull off his death and resurrection you've got to trust him if you're a Christian say it get baptized and if you're a Christian and life is tough please do not give up joy will come in the morning the resurrection is proof of that but maybe this morning you're not a Christian 
what I want to say to you this morning, would you consider taking a step today on Easter Sunday? Maybe you're not ready to say a big yes. Okay, yeah, I'm fully in, I'm completely in. Maybe you could say a little yes. It's just, hey, I want to know more. I want to reach out more. I want to ask some questions. I want to maybe go to Alpha. I maybe want to ask someone who I've come with. Maybe I'm going to come back to find out a little bit more. Maybe I can say a little yes, even if I can't say a big yes. But maybe you can this morning. And it may be that actually you say, hey, yeah, I am a Christian. I've done all that. But actually, you know deep down, you've not been following Jesus for a long time. You've disconnected from him. You did do it once. But maybe you got disappointed. Maybe you met some of these people called Christians and they disappointed you. Or maybe life was difficult and you just walked away. Today on Easter Sunday, I want to invite you to come back. Come back. Say yes again to the resurrected Christ who stands with his hands and his arms open with his wounds saying, hey, I did this for you. This is an invitation. I'm not going to make you. Please, would you come home? So why don't we pray for a moment? Just if we can maybe just close our eyes and just shut everyone else out for a moment. In a minute, we're going to celebrate. But right now, I'm just going to ask, is there anyone here this morning? And on Easter Sunday, you want to say yes to God. Maybe a big yes for the first time. Maybe a little yes. Maybe just a, hey, I want to know more. Maybe you're someone who was a Christian. Yeah, and you are a Christian because you've made that commitment, but you're not following him. And today on Easter Sunday, you want to say, Lord, I want to come home. I want to pray for you this morning. So is there anyone this morning on Easter Sunday and you want to say yes to God, the risen Christ? He's here. If that's you, just slip your hand up right now and I want to pray for you. Is there anyone here this morning? Thank you. Is there anyone else here this morning? Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Thank you. At the back. Come on. God is working by His Spirit. Anyone else? Easter Sunday, the resurrected Christ is here. One more chance. Anyone else? Father, I want to thank you for people responding to you. God, thank you for what you've done. God, whenever we respond to you, it's nothing compared to what you've done for us. But Lord, as we lift up our hands, as we say yes to you, God, would you by your spirit come into those lives again afresh? Or for the first time, I pray, God, you are the resurrected Christ and we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand together? We're going to celebrate with an incredible song that the girls are going to sing to us. It tells the story of what happened on this day that we celebrate all those years ago. And as you listen and as you start to sing, worship and celebrate and just rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus Christ.